Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. So you can laugh, I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You're very welcome to Wednesday's edition of the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast. Kieran Murphy's with me. Hey there, Owen. You made the point yesterday, Kieran, that we can never truly say that this World Cup has had it all because we don't know what it hasn't had yet yeah. until that thing happens. I'm sure, I'm sure I put it as uh, beautifully as that. Well, last night's entry into that category was mm. our first pundit believing they are off air but are actually very much on air moment. Mm. I'm sure I would be surprised if one person listening to this show ha- didn't either see this live or hear about Eamon Dunphy's... Yeah. There's literally not one person that doesn't know exactly headband. what we're talking about. But uh, what struck me most about it after rewatching, I've got to be honest... I missed the first couple of minutes of the Brazil game because I was I was so enraptured by what had happened <laughs> that I was going back just to double check how everybody dealt with it. Yeah, B- yeah. Bill's double inhalation mm. as uh, the second F bomb was dropped. <laughs> Ken- Kenny Cunningham inscrutable as always. Hard to know what Kenny was thinking mm. and Diddy Hammond slowly putting away his Angry Birds <laughs> that he's playing just on his phone. Good, it took the old Candy Crush back under the, uh, under the desk. But what struck me most here. about it was that it turns out the stuff that Eamon Dunphy says when he thinks he's off air is basically exactly the same as what he says when he's on air yeah. just with a lot more cursing like the camera comes back to the studio there he is regaling a disinterested looking Kenny Cunningham with some story about a pitch that was an effing bog yeah. and then he's t- Bill interjects and, he's, and he respectfully to Bill he says yeah Neymar you know that guy was effing dreading it yeah. this is all the stuff that he talks about all the time it's he's actually, it's actually you know it, it's refreshing to see that the only filter put on Eamon Dunphy's real thoughts on <laughs> football is just less cursing everything else is exactly as uh, as 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 he has been providing to us. Over what did the you years. make of the apology? Was it uh, up there with the Tiger Woods apologies? It was right. Uh, it was right up there. It was certainly was more sincere than the Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah, apology. I think it was. Yeah. But then again, there, I would say that there hasn't been any, well, any human conversation or monologue or speech in the history. Well, basically, since we stood erect and 
developed language skills that has been less sincere than Tiger Woods' apology. So for, for me to say that Dunphy's apology was more sincere than that <laughs> doesn't really say a whole lot about it. That nevertheless, whole, it, was, it was more sincere than that. Yeah, that whole incident was, in my mind, only the second most interesting thing that happened in the RT studios last night because the Eamon Dunphy-Kenny Cunningham dynamic. Oh, it's brilliant. It is fascinating. If you're a Breaking Bad fan, I could equate it loosely to the relationship between Walter White and Jesse Pinkman with Dunphy seeing himself in the dominant... Walter White role but Kenny at a point where he's just not going to take it anymore mm. Jesse reached everyone reaches that point in their life at some stage in that kind of uneven relationship they disagreed over everything Fellaini Ashley Cole whether he should have been there England I was half expecting as Dunphy was apologising half expecting Kenny to cut across him yeah, and no, dis- disagree with him no, you're, you're wrong to apologise there Eamon <laughs> but they ended in <laughs> just a second Kenny I'm yeah. just going to finish his apology but it ended in an uneasy now, let me finish let me finish <laughs> It ended in an uneasy truce when Kenny was asked, uh, they do these questions that come in on Twitter and all the rest, and they were all asked what team in the World Cup they'd manage. Kenny said he'd manage England, and this was another thing that they disagreed mm-hmm. on over the course of uh, everyone, Dunphy was literally chortling or snorting, I don't know what the best way to, to describe mm-hmm. it is. Uh, he said, no, wait a sec, Kenny said, wait a second, I'd, I'd manage England, and I'd bring Eamon in as my assistant. So... There was an, I, would, I would say it was an uneasy truce. I look forward to the next time that they're paired together. On the pitch, the Brazilian team showed more signs that this whole World Cup may well come crashing down around them in possibly the last 16 stage, and Ken Early was there to see it. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Ken Early, how are you? Very good, Alan. <laughs> All the better for listening to Kenny Cunningham and Eamon Dunphy chat. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's an incredible dynamic. You, you, I presume you heard about the... Um, the oh, yeah, accident. I saw it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody... I think, I think everybody... I don't know if it was limited only to the Irish people spread out across the world. And I think it went international. Mm. It, it might be the most watched YouTube clip from the World Cup so far. <laughs> <laughs> you had more yeah. important things in your mind, Ken. You were watching... Brazil, in Brazil, Fort Letze. I know you made the point during the game on Twitter that the atmosphere was markedly different and markedly better than what was it was there for Sao Paulo in the first game, or I should say in Sao Paulo in the first game, but uh, is the Brazilian public ready to turn on this team now after that performance? No, not the, not the public, no. Um, it was an amazing atmosphere at that game. The Mexican fans are incredible. Honestly, fantastic. I, I thought... Uh, maybe on that it might be difficult to match the sort of uh, intensity that you see from, say, Croatian fans. I've been at a few Croatia games at the various Euros, and they usually make a lot of noise. But the Mexican fans were just fantastic. I think this is the first time I've been to a Mexico World Cup match. Um, I can't remember if I was at one in 2010. Uh, but certainly the first time I've been to one that had so many Mexican supporters. Because there was, there was at least... I would guess 15,000 Mexican supporters in that stadium, which is way in excess of the number of tickets they should have had. But one way or the other, they got... Apparently, um, a lot of um, uh, the tickets sold in the United States were actually bought by Mexicans. Um, You've got a lot of Mexicans in the United States, so they were kind of buying up those tickets. um, And and that's the country where most tickets have been sold, is the United States. Um, and obviously, you know, a full complement of drone. And uh, Brazil is not the furthest country in the world from Mexico. So there's a huge contingent of them here. And they just made such a great atmosphere um, from taunting the Brazilian goalkeeper uh, on every every single time he touched the ball uh, to just repeatedly singing their song about sing, don't cry, 
um, uh, which uh, it just it just made a great sort of a great mood. I mean, not that the mood really transmitted itself very well to the Brazilian players, who I thought looked really tense and really um, started to freak out a little bit as uh, as it turned out that things weren't going to go their way. How big a part in that uh, tension that they're feeling? Does the anthem play, do you think, and the, the emotion that comes from that? Because I, I, there was a nice phrase used in the Irish Times this morning. He said, last year's spontaneous outpouring is this year's silly affectation. Well, I thought, it, it, it's the other way when you do, when something spontaneous happens, then people start, sort of turn it into an institution and then suddenly, slowly everybody starts to become embarrassed by it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another example. Okay, basically what happened was during the Confederations Cup um, last year, uh, which was a, quite a fraught time. One of the ways in which FIFA annoyed um, the people of Brazil was by saying that they couldn't play their full-length anthem that apparently they like to play. They would have to make do with only one verse of it, since the second verse is just the same as the first verse, just repeated. And uh, the Brazilians weren't happy with that at all. So what happened was that after the music stopped playing on the shortened FIFA version, the crowd and the players just kept going anyway. And so they were united in this spontaneous uh, defiance of FIFA, which, um, you know, and given that everybody was singing it so much louder, that second verse, to make a big point, um, it sort of created this uh, great emotional intensity. You know, everyone's like, yeah, you know, um, pretty much telling FIFA where to go and that. Uh, but then they, they kind of just kept doing it this year. And, and obviously, it's not really the same when it's sort of a big plan thing. Oh, let's, you know, do it last year like we did in the Confederations Cup. It's never going to be the same as it was in the Confederations Cup. You know? Yeah. Don't look back. That's and what I'm saying. Don't look back. Anyway, what, what happened was, I mean, I was watching the, the players. I mean, the, even all around the stadium, Thiago Silva had, had done an interview on TV where he said, um, if, the, if the fans in the stadium could sing the anthem the way that we do on the field and put their arms around each other when they sing, that would be really nice. And so everyone was doing that. You see all these Brazilians with their arms around each other in the stands belting out this anthem. And looking at the players then, as it comes to the end of the anthem, Neymar actually kind of drops to his knees and starts and is, and is weeping at the, end of, of, at the end of the anthem. And a couple of his, his teammates come over and they're like, hey, you know, are you okay? And kind of stroking his hair and stuff. And Neymar is like, oh, you know, I'll be okay. I'll be, I'll be okay in a minute. Now, maybe, maybe Neymar really is the world's most patriotic man. I just thought he'd got a little bit carried away, a, bit, a lot of cheap emotion going around. He'd overdosed on cheap emotion. He was like a, a kid who drank too much sugar and was, you know, needed to. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it was. Uh, I have different views on this anthem thing, Owen, than, than some people I know. I mean, I remember having a big argument with, with a journalist at the last tournament, actually with a number of journalists, about the singing of the national anthem in general. You know, the way some people think you should, you should really sing the national anthem, and that, and that shows, A, that you love your country, B, that it puts you in the right frame of mind for the match. And would cite examples such as, say, you know, those rugby players who would, like, burst into tears John as they belted yeah. out around the vein. Yeah. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. What is John What is John Hayes up to there, you know? I mean, I'm sure he loves Ireland. I mean, that doesn't everyone. But it's not about a song. It's about a, it's about a game. You know, your emotions are, that's, you know, focus your emotions on what you've actually got to do. This is, this is an irrelevancy. This clouds the mind, in my opinion. 
Um, certainly, I mean, it's impossible really to say uh, at a speculative distance of 50 metres what's really going on in, in Neymar's head, but he didn't play particularly well, certainly in, in that first half. Uh, and I don't see that, you know, being overwhelmed with uh, with cheap emotion as he was, did many favours. What do you think Robbie Savage's uh, thoughts on National Anthem singing are, Ken? Do you think he agrees with you or <laughs> maybe not? I'm going to say I think you've laid a trap for me and he does agree with me. No, he does not agree with you, Ken. <laughs> oh, uh, you <laughs> overthought that one. Uh, Robbie Savage was uh, doing the USA Gada game, right? And he was complaining yeah. that the US team were not patriotic enough, dressed as they were in a full, basically, American flag. French. Well, uh, they were wearing a kind of a French flag, I thought, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like blue, blue, <laughs> white, and red stripes. Or is that maybe Dutch? Oh, I can't. Or a Russian. No, it's a Russian flag. Yeah. Well, well, it wasn't an American flag. Well, <laughs> American flag. I mean, it, oh, you mean the training tops the, uh, for the, yeah, yeah, for yeah, the yeah. actual national anthem? It is a flag, yeah, yeah. But either, um, either way, Robbie, yeah, Robbie was, was not amused that like two of them weren't seeing the national anthem. Oh, yeah, I think Clint Dempsey might have been one of them. And I apologise to Clint <laughs> no, if he's listening he and I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, the commentator said, I can't remember which commentator, it could have been Guy Mowbray, said, oh, well, Robbie, you got to forgi- forgive him for that now. The, you had an issue with him not seeing the anthem, but he scored a goal. That outweighs it. And Robbie said... Not, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> not for me. Right, I still okay. don't forgive him, even though he scored the goal that within oh. 41 seconds, which suggests that he is switched on in the <laughs> correct fashion, don't you think, really? You know, if you score inside the first minute, your mental pre-game preparation has probably worked all right. Yeah. I think I think Clint Dempsey's um, Clint, Clint Dempsey's nervous energy was was harnessed in the in the most effective possible way for the for the U.S. team, even if he seemed diffident when they were singing the anthem. I would have I would have thought that the United States team actually would be among the more um, enthusiastic anthem singers. Yeah, I would have thought, but I forgot well. I forgot. Of course, these are soccer playing Americans. I don't know if. I don't know if there's anything in that. But, you know, I, I know that Americans do like to have a bit of patriotism with their sporting events. Um, you know, if you can have a couple of fighter planes fly over the stadium, I think all the better. Would have been um, nice, actually, that, to see the Brazilian reaction to uh, a <laughs> U.S. flyover, uh, unannounced flyover. That would have been fun. That would have been a nice little diplomatic incident to start the, uh, the World Cup off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean, I, I've been uh, this this national anthem thing. Obviously, is only a a product of high quality TV zoom lenses. Um, you know, it used to be the, it used to be the case that players would be standing there and no one could really see whether they're <laughs> they're singing the national anthem, so nobody cared. Uh, but now, now that they sort of have these lingering close ups on on every face. I mean, if you go back to the nineteen seventy four World Cup final, say, you know, Germany Holland. Uh, which was a match with a lot going on, um, and and you know some strong national feelings on either side, probably stronger I would say than anything, and that you're going to find in this World Cup at any point, um, you know nobody's singing the anthem and nobody cares. Uh, it's just one of those things that's you know some people, um, some people think is important even though it's not. You know, Scolari was. Not in great form in the press conference. I, I get the impression, Ken, you were there. What what sort of what was the line of questioning? Yeah, I mean, okay. Well, Scolari comes in, and I mean, there was no round of applause this time, which is what he got the last time uh, when he when he walked into the press conference. So this time it was it was immediately a little bit less uh, less worshipful. 
Um, he kind of tried to affect the same sort of demeanor, but then he, which is, which is to say, you know, like this big uh, paternal figure who, um, who has all the answers. Um, but slowly, he, you know, things began to kind of turn a little bit sour because the questions, I mean, you asked earlier on about the, the public turning on the team. I don't think the public are, but I think the, the media definitely are a little bit worried um, about what we saw from the team. And the questions were generally along the lines of, there was one, if, if there was one question that kind of summed up the others, it was one of those, <laughs> it was basically along the lines of, um, this team played well at the Confederations Cup, but that was a little while ago now. Is it still the best team? And that was kind of the general line of, of uh, that was the sort of concern. You know, the over-reliance on Neymar was particularly marked last night. I mean, when we say the over-reliance on Neymar, it's not as though Neymar did a whole lot in the game, but because he didn't, Brazil had nothing. And that's really worrying. Um, you know, Fred is a guy who comes up. And, and actually, Fred was the guy referred to by Scolari at the, at the last. Because as he got more and more irritable, he eventually sort of just got up and was leaving. Um, someone had made the point, well, you know, you didn't get any penalties today, did you, Scolari? And uh, he was like, yeah. And what happened, the la- what happened the last time? What happened the last time? All you did was criticize Fred. And then he kind of stormed out. And you're thinking, ooh. Um, so it seemed as though Scolari was going to... Uh, I mean, when I when I mentioned that question, Owen, uh, this this confederation, this, this team played well in the confederation cup. You know, do you think maybe we need to change it now that the confederation cup is so long ago? Scar just said no, <laughs> and that was you know that was his answer. You know, so it, it seemed that what he's going to do is kind of keep supporting these guys in the hope that they'll repay his support. But I have to say that watching the game, um, I. If I was a manager, I would definitely be be looking to make a couple of changes there. I mean, just to keep people on their toes as much as anything. Paulinho on is is just was terrible last night. I mean, terrible. I mean, Luis Gustavo, I think gets a bit of criticism as well. It's a generally pretty staid kind of pair in midfield. I mean, they're just they're just extra defenders, really. I mean, that's it. That's the way that Brazil are set up. It's it's more or less with six defenders, and you know, just four attackers. Um, whether they should play that way, I'm not sure. But should they play that way with two such out-of-form players, or certainly Paulinho, the form he's in is terrible. I don't. Uh, I think they really do need to change it. All right, you spoke to a very esteemed journalist over there about some of these issues. Yes. Uh, on uh, why am I talking about Brazil when you can listen to Tim Vickery talk about Brazil and learn so much more in so much less time? Tim, um, I must say. Uh, I've just seen Philippe Scolari give his press conference. He said that Brazil were at least 10% better than they were against Croatia. To me, they looked at least 10% worse. Well, he's been living on, on Paradise Island for the past year, you know, since they caught a little bit of form and identity and won the fans over during the Confederations Cup. And this is the first time since then he's, he's had to walk into a hostile press conference. So uh, I'm sure he's feeling a little bit like a man ejected from Par- Paradise Island. And he was cutting a, a very, very frustrated figure on the sidelines. And his team were cutting an increasingly frustrated figure. Uh, and this is the challenge of winning a World Cup at home. The, 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 there is, as well as a technical challenge that we'll get on to a minute, um, there's, there's a huge emotional challenge. And uh, there, were, there were times in that second half when you wondered whether Brazil were going to buckle against 
a well-organised Mexican side who didn't let the atmosphere get to them at all, who, who, who knew exactly what they were trying to do, did it very well and could have nicked the win at the end. Yeah. Did you notice that Neymar actually started to cry at the end of the anthems? He seemed a little... Uh, a little swept away by it all. I wasn't. I wasn't really convinced that uh, it was that he was really benefiting from that sort of surge of emotion. I watched the uh, the first game. I wasn't in the stadium for the opening against Croatia. I was watching it in a lounge, surrounded by by several big name stars of world football, uh, and uh, one of them I can't give you his name, but one of them, you know, he watched the Brazil players crying during the national anthem there. And he said, if I'm playing against them, that's really what I want to see. Because I want to see that the occasion is too much for them. I want to see them using their emotional energy then, yeah. and not, not when it matters on the field. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that maybe there's a bit of wishful thinking going on with this Brazil team. Um, you know, the, one of the questions to Scolari was along the lines of, this team is very much based on the Confederations Cup. It was one of these very long-winded questions. Um, but very much based on, but maybe the performance level now isn't quite the same as it was in the Confederations Cup, and maybe we need to look at if we might change a couple of players, to which Scolari quite amusingly just responded, no. Um, but I actually thought the questioner had a point. Well, the Confederations Cup is not the World Cup, is it? Uh, but that has been his team. Um, it's been the same first eleven in his mind ever since the, the, the Confederations Cup and, and the same idea, although we have seen little tweaks, little changes. And the, the, the surprise that he's gone for in this tournament has been Neymar playing in that 4-2-3-1, which is the kind of base formation, Neymar playing most of the time centrally. Now, I understood that against Croatia because Croatia didn't play with a conventional holding midfielder and really that was the story for, for Neymar's goal the first the first goal he, he, he made use of that space but Mexico do play with a conventional holding midfielder Vasquez who had the better of the disputes with Neymar and Vasquez gave us a declaration of intent in the first few seconds when he, when he charged in there and he was saying to Neymar with that tackle you are not going to have uh, an easy afternoon uh, and when, when he was operating high left there was one thing that they had I thought that worked well which was cutting in on the diagonal getting a ball into the centre forward Fredri and getting a return pass and then getting a shot in off, uh, on goal and I think they've lost that a little bit and Fredri and he's not the most mobile of centre forwards he is quite technically gifted but if you're not doing that if you're not getting the ball to him and then getting in and around him, then his limitations are exposed. And I really think that that was one of the themes of, 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 uh, of, of this game. And Brazil's limitations were exposed. And this is always going to be a team. That, and Brazilian football has changed. And my generation, we grew up on, on the 1982 side. And the way they moved the ball was just absolutely hypnotic. The ball being passed here, 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 here. The, the, op the, the opponents chasing after it but never quite getting there you know a, a little bit like uh, outclassed bulls in a bullfight that's gone they don't play that way anymore they don't beat you on flow they beat you on moments and the moment didn't come today and for those moments they are very dependent on Neymar yeah, yeah a lot of the questions uh, surrounded the the, uh, the dependence on Neymar to, to Scolari and he was kind of batting away all the questions he didn't really seem to want to talk about the team it was just I believe in the players I believe in the players but they really are I mean there was no there was no creativity in the team and, and I have to say watching uh, I thought that one of the 
the big problems in the team for me was this Luis Gustavo Paulinho partnership in midfield. Nothing comes from that, and Paulinho in particular seems to be desperately out of form. Where's the replacement? Um, you could go with Hernanes, you could go with Fernandinho, but you don't have Iniesta. And this, I think, is a is a is a huge question that Brazilian football needs to ask itself. Even even still, I mean, Hernanes and, and Fernandinho are, are good players. Fernandinho certainly, on the basis of his league form, because that's the last time I've seen him play, is playing a lot better. Has been playing a lot better than Paulinho for a while. And if you've got one player who's really very out of form and another player who's quite similar but might be playing better, maybe you have to do you have to make that change. Perhaps be interesting to see what team he picks against Cameroon. He'll be a little bit worried about picking up injuries, and he knows that those African teams can go in very hard. But he's also got something of a dilemma now, because probably the two most important players in the team are on a yellow card. That's Thiago Silva, the captain and centre-back, and Neymar. Now, what do you do? Do you rest them, worried that they might pick up another yellow card, and then be out of that second-round tie, which could be, and is building to be, Spain? Do you do that? If so, do you trust your defence without Thiago Silva? And especially, do you trust your attack without Neymar? And I think that's probably quite a big decision that he has to make. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that the answer would be resounding no in each case, although Neymar does pick up a lot of yellow cards. But you, you were talking about Fred, uh, and the last thing that uh, Scolari said in the press conference as he walked away, um, I think somebody said something about, oh, you know, we didn't get any penalties today, and that was our problem. And he said, yeah, but, you know, what happened the last time? All you did was criticise Fred. Um, has, has that been the case? Has Fred been, been taking a bit of a beating from the Brazilian press? Not really, um, but uh, and Scolari said to him last year during the Confederations Cup, unless you break your leg, you're my centre-forward. That's what he's done to more or less every member of this team, you know, Julio Cesar. He called up Julio Cesar for the World Cup last year when he wasn't getting a game at Queen's Park Rangers, when he wasn't doing anything. And this was raised in the press in press conferences, and he said, "Well, Julio Cesar will, will be in, will be in the World Cup." So we knew back in September that Julio Cesar would would be here, and and, and that's the way that Scolari's operated. It is something which has given him perhaps not a great deal of room to manoeuvre, and he's nailed his colours to the mast with these players. Uh, so again, that, that's another call that he that he has to make. Does he make changes here and there? And the change that. The one who, player who was really coming under pressure before the debut game was Oscar. Yeah, big, yeah, big push for William in the team, and not Oscar. And then Oscar was the man of the match against Croatia and didn't do too badly again today. Um, so uh, I, I don't think he's correct in saying that there's an anti-Fred campaign in the Brazilian media, perhaps internationally. But uh, this is this, I think, is Scolari's method of circling the wagons and, you know, and saying, uh, "All right." They might be criticising you outside the doors, but here inside the doors, we're a family and we're going to win together. Well, what, I mean, while that performance maybe what did lack a few things today from Brazil, they, you know, there's, there's still everybody thinks going to be in the next round. You've had a chance now to see nearly all the teams in action. Um, Russia, South Korea, getting their they're the last two teams to, to get underway. Um, are there any teams out there that you can that you can say Brazil will be looking at and thinking they're definitely a threat? Well, plenty, but. They love their cup competitions here. They love them. And they, they, they are well aware that the race is not always to the swift. You don't win World Cups with flashy opening day victories. You win them by growing in the tournament. Uh, and uh, 
well, Brazil have a, have a fair bit of growing still to do. They've left themselves plenty of room. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So uh, there's plenty of room there to grow. But I, I don't think they'll be particularly worried by watching Germany stick in four against Portugal in, 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 uh, in, uh, in, in the first round. Knockout stages is a, is a completely different situation. And Scolari will trust these players to get him all the way. And he hasn't chosen these players to spite anyone. He hasn't chosen these players to spite the international media and so on. He's chosen these players because he believes that they can win him the World Cup. And this is the moment, I suppose, and maybe that's the lesson of the press conference that you attended, this is the moment when he has to show that more than ever. You mentioned Germany, Tim. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about them. I was at their game in, uh, in Salvador yesterday and it turned into really, ultimately, a bit of a training exercise. Were they, were they one of the flashy opening day victories, the flashy first round victories you were talking about? Where you, did you have on in mind? Our, Germany, I think, have only played Brazil once before in, in the World Cup, and Brazil won that time. Um, is there any uh, fear of that German team, and uh, you know, that's kind of cut a bit of a sway through Europe in the last few years? Any game, and this is, this is one of the fascinating things of, of, about football, has multiple games inside it that could develop. I mean, think of, of, of uh, Holland, Spain. Spain had a wonderful chance to go two 0 up. Had they done so, I'm sure that game would have, would have turned out differently. And Germany had a iffy-ish penalty, an absolutely stupid red card from Portugal, and things ended up being very, very easy. The second game might be completely different, completely different. And I well, well remembered West Germany, as it then was, getting off to a, to a flyer in the last time they won the World Cup in 1990, beating Yugoslavia 4-1. Yes, they ended up winning it, but it was hard work all the way. So uh, I, I don't think anyone should get carried away with, uh, with, with that result, and especially as the Germans played in... And you were there. You know how hot that was, yeah. 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They've got another two games also in tropical conditions. Uh, and uh, there's no doubt about it. This, this takes away some of your physical capacity. And for a side like Germany, who they, they, they need to play high-tempo football, it's going to be very difficult for them. And Oliver Bierhoff... Uh, who's their, their kind of coordinator there with the German FA, after watching the Confederations Cup last year, he said it's going to be very, very difficult for a European team to win it. And that was before Germany got this draw that gave them three draining games in intense tropical heat. The very last thing is, um, I don't know if you were there to see Argentina against Bosnia. Uh, you were. So, uh, really, Argentina, again, they, they had a few problems there. Did, but did you see enough in that second half to suggest they might also be one of these teams that grows? Or... Do they actually have a worrying lack of quality when you look beyond the top names and that's what? It was a fascinating game. I was in the stadium for that one. And uh, what we saw there was a coach have a crisis of confidence. Um, the coach lose conviction in, in what he's been doing because they've been playing one way during qualification, which is a, a very open 4-3-3. And for the first time, they got the best out of Messi. They got Messi to show his international form for his country for the first time. Two strikers ahead of him, often pushed wide, opening up lots of space for, for Messi. Gargle behind him as his supply line. Di Maria in that midfield trio to crash through into the space. It worked very well going forward. Where it left them vulnerable was defensively. Uh, and uh, he, he got himself another formation, which was with three centre-backs, which was his kind of his full-back position if Messi wasn't fit. If Messi was fit, he was saying, all right, I know it's very open. I know there are times when the, the opposition are attacking, when all I can do is shut my eyes and pray. But I'll take it that way, because if it's an open game, our attacking talent will outscore your attacking talent. Mm. Then he comes to the World Cup and has a crisis and stops believing 
in the method that's got them where they are. And we saw the consequences of that. Argentina totally fell between two stools. Um, and uh, it, the, the, their first half was absolutely, absolutely appalling. It was dreadful beyond words. Give him credit, recognise his errors, went back to his original system, and they were much, much better in the second half. Although they did concede a goal in that space between the fullback and the centre-back, where they are so vulnerable, where they play that 4-3-3. I mean, you say that he recognised his mistake, but was it... Was he following instructions when he made those changes? I mean, I thought it was interesting that Lionel Messi afterwards spoke openly about it and he said, we have to do what we did in the second half, we can't do what we did in the first half again. (laughs) Usually he doesn't say these kind of things uh, publicly, but it it sounded as though he was kind of laying down some ground rules for his coach, acceptable formations that he can play from now on. Well, I think it was it was probably clear to, to everyone that we've seen the last of, of, of the three centre-back system from Argentina in this World Cup. But it was very interesting that, that Messi said that and pointed out the problems. He said, you know, we were, it's like we were playing in different islands in the first half. We were all so isolated from, 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 from ourselves. So uh, um, there is perhaps a variation to a, to a 4-4-2, but we won't see that three centre-back thing again. And um, But isn't it funny, football, because... That dreadful first half, Argentina won 1-0. The second half, when they were much better, actually drew 1-1. So, uh, you know, football is, is, is full of these, 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 uh, these curiosities, which make it so difficult to, to predict. But I would imagine that Argentina will, um, will benefit greatly from having made a mistake. Because any success story, failure is a part of it. And they did fail in that first half. And I think um, they pretty much succeeded in the, in the second half. The individual players can do much better Di Maria had a, had a pretty poor game Aguero was substandard there's real room for improvement there you were saying earlier on that you, you're not you know Brazil have room uh, must improve massively but you wonder where it's going to come from yeah. with Argentina they, they, they can improve massively and you can see where it's going to come from although that, that defensive vulnerability I think will be a problem Tim Vickery brilliant stuff thanks for my pleasure thank you that was the BBC's brilliant South American correspondent Tim Vickery there Ken um, seems to be in good form and enjoying the tournament. I like this story about the unnamed superstar who saw Brazil crying at the Confederations Cup and said, Give me some of that. I'll have a piece of that, please. But we've probably talked enough about that. The anti-Fred campaign, I think you both hit it on the head there. It seems to be, whether there's a domestic one or not, it seems as though Tim says that it's not that people are still on Fred's side. Internationally, I've got to say, this guy is probably the biggest joke figure of the World Cup so far. Everyone's laughing at him. Yeah, well, mind you, they're probably laughing at him in the same... Um, maybe I'm talking about the Irish pundits I've watched. They're, they're laughing. Well, Pepe, and, he, then, and then Fred or Fejou. Well, even George Hamilton. George Hamilton was commentating, and uh, commentating really well, as usual. And he was, he's got Ray Houghton. Now, Ray Houghton was hilarious. Literally, I would say... Even when Paulinho was off the field, I think he, uh, when um, Fred. Fred was off the field, I think Houghton was still having a go at him. You know, <laughs> even when Joe was missing chances, it was possibly Fred's fault. But that's maybe expected of Houghton as the co-commentator. George Hamilton is usually quite steady and doesn't insert his opinions in a Jonathan Pierce style way. But at one stage, Fred fails to control it; it bounces out, and George Hamilton said something like, "Well, you know, what would you expect? That's Fred. That's what Fred does. He just lets the ball bounce off." And so, definitely in Ireland, he seems to be coming a. A bit of a joke figure, but Stefan Guivarash was seen as something similar in 1998. Ken, he's got a World Cup winner's medal. Yeah, I mean, you know, I still think I still think Brazil definitely can win the World Cup. I mean, you got to remember also Mexico are a decent side, and they played really well yesterday. And you know, they, I think they they played cleverly against Brazil. There's not too many teams who play the way that Mexico. I mean, Mexico play three five two. Um, and they were they were quite clever the way they sort of shut down Brazil's midfield and, and Brazil's midfield. I don't 
think even Paulinho, even Paulinho can't play this badly again. But I mean, if we're talking about Fred, the problem that he has is that he's not Ronaldo, um, he's not uh, Romario, he's not any of these brilliant strikers that people have, you know, people have grown to associate with the with the shirt that he's wearing. Um, you know, he's he's one of these center forwards who's, I mean, like Guivarch, Guivarch's job was to work hard, to make runs, to try and open up space for other players to exploit. And really, Fred is is there to do more or less the same thing. I mean, I think he's a much better player than Stefan Guivarch in, in technical terms. I mean, as a, as a footballer, the biggest technical um, complaint that you might have about him is that he's just quite slow. You know, he's a big, bulky man. He's not uh, he's not really going to get on the end of much um, in the pace way, but Brazil do have pace. In you know Neymar is quick, um, Oscar is quick, um, you know, and and Scolari's idea is obviously that Fred's abilities uh, complement them. But you know, having said all that, I really do think that Scolari should have made more of an effort to um, to get Diego Costa on side because. Uh, I think he's a much better player. <laughs> he's way better in every respect. And if he was playing for Brazil, I, I think he would complement, uh, you know, players like Neymar and Oscar better than Fred, just as well as him in all the same ways he does, and better in other ways that Fred can't do. But of course, Scolari didn't bother do that. And Diego Costa really only emerged as a real force this season. And so should have been on to him in October, saying, "Hmm." Um, Quite impressed with your recent work, Diego Costa. I mean, remember he had called him up for a couple of friendlies, and he he played him twice in friendlies as a substitute, and Diego Costa hadn't played that well. But obviously, Scolari's attitude towards him was, I, I really un- I see a lot of Trapattoni in Scolari, and you know this kind of old man inflexibility. I've got my team, and I don't really care what like the current evidence suggests. I really can't be bothered with any of that, and I'm certainly not going to go sucking up to some flavor of the month player just because he happens to bang in a few goals in some rinky-dink European league. You know what I mean? When, when really he should have been taking account of the different tides and currents of, of his players' form. You can't just hope to turn up the World Cup and everyone's going to be great just because it's the World Cup. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I don't think there's a player out there who's, who, who's in bad form and who wants to be you know what I mean? He, it's it's just something that happens to players. Sometimes they go through difficult periods. They can't quite get it right. It's not a question of saying, oh, I'm playing quite badly. I better play better. You know, players are usually thinking that. They want to play better, but it doesn't happen for them. So you've got to look for the guys who inform. Now, admittedly, Diego Costa isn't necessarily in the form of his life at the moment. He kind of finished the season injured and, you know, um, he, his form had tailed off a little bit. Still, though, a superior player than Fred, I think definitely. And Scolari boobed there very badly by um, by essentially being so indifferent towards him that when Vicente Del Bosque called him up, Diego Costa was like, I think as much out of spite as anything. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, the world, world champions want me to play for them. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. You know, it seems like Scolari's not interested. So, yeah, I'll play for the world champions. <laughs> I'll ask you about the world champions in a second because that's one of the big games, about well, the big game today. But I want to ask you both, first of all, Murph, your theory, why have there been so many goals so far? Pretty much double what there was at this stage in South Africa. Mm, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't put my finger on any tactical or physical reason. So I actually think that player, there is a chance that players are inspired by the fact that they're playing at, in the home of football, that it's the country itself. And now, 
it kind of sounds a bit wishy-washy. Well, I never had you figured for a hopeless romantic here. Well, what can I say? Oh, what can I say? Uh, Barney Roney in The Guardian actually wrote something quite similar this morning. And emboldened by the fact that someone else, <laughs> who actually is quite smart, had thought the same thing. I can now go public yeah. with my own feelings. And I should say this. that you did have the opinion... You had verbalised it I to me it. before you read the Barney Roney. Your little, eyes lit up when you read five that. Five minutes later, I'm not an idiot on this occasion. <laughs> uh, Barney Roney also believes this. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that they have been. And it's weird because Brazil are playing like, I don't know, Stoke. And yeah, I'm still saying that uh, it's the, you know Brazil and what that stands for rather than the Brazil team that's currently playing is inspiring players to go out and play with the Jogo Benito. Ken, your theory... Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Stoke, actually, because, you know, Tony Pudis is over here. Now, I know he's not the Stoke manager anymore. Mm. Um, I saw him uh, sunbathing like a lizard uh, <laughs> at the, <laughs> the stadium in Salvador. Tony Pudis in, in a pretty skimpy outfit, I have to say. But, you know, why shouldn't he? He's, he keeps himself in good shape. Did he have that uh, tinfoil thing to catch all of the rays? You know, that he's a really serious <laughs> sun, uh, just, just a sort of a, a little wet um, hand towel over his head, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, it, yeah, he looked like he, he was having a great time. I mean, Tony Pudis himself it, has been affected, I think, by... By Brazil, or at least by the by the thirty four degree heat and blazing sunshine that he encountered in Salvador, to uh, to let his hair down, uh, so to speak, a little bit. Mm. But I don't know. I think I think maybe that does have have something to do with it. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if it keeps up because already in the last couple of days we've seen a couple of nil nils. Um, you know, the Brazil Mexico was a nil nil. The, the Nigeria Iran was it was a bad game and a nil nil. Um, it may have something to do with the heat. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that uh, when it is cold, uh, it's easier to defend, I think. I mean, it's probably, it, maybe it's easier to attack as well. But as, you know, as we know, the ball, okay, the ball, if the ball moves faster than the man, that's a, that's a given. But if the man moves faster in cold weather than hot weather, then maybe this is a completely pseudo-scientific point. <laughs> but, but, but if it's, if it's colder, I mean, not, you know, I don't, I don't mean to say freezing, you know, obviously, um, uh, you know, cold, cold is not necessarily an inducement to speed, usually, in fact, in nature, the opposite. But, um, you know, if players are getting less hot, less kind of exhausted from heat, um, maybe they're finding it easier to press and defend as a team. You know, maybe the gaps between the defenders are... Just a, little, a meter less, and you know, makes it makes it a meter kind of could make a huge difference at this level. But you know, then again, when we look at at, at the leagues in Europe uh, over the last couple of seasons, there've been more goals scored in them as well. So it may it may be to do with the fact that people are are, are attacking more. I mean, if you remember, the last World Cup was was a pretty bad one in a lot of ways. And one of the annoying things about it was that everybody played more or less the same formation, uh, which is the one Brazil played four two three one. Uh, everybody played it. It was it was like this weird brainwashed orthodoxy, which was which was quite a um, an annoying thing because usually the, the good thing about the World Cup is at least you get a bit of diversity. You know, different teams that play different football. I think there's been more of that this time around, or at least a little bit more. No, well, we don't have to play four two three one. Let's see what we do. You know, let's see, let's see what works. Maybe that has something to do with it. I, the fact that everyone isn't kind of playing the same formation against each other. Um, uh, but, you know, the short answer is, um, I don't know. Maybe, okay, probably probably the simplest answer is, it's just a statistical um, freak event. And by the 
Uh, ended, and it will be leveled out with a few nil-nil draws in the coming matches. And by the end of the World Cup, it will be pretty much the same goals as like any other World Cup. Well, there have been a couple of those nil-nils creeping in. Hopefully not today, though. I look at these fixtures in front of me on my glossy World Cup wall chart here. Australia, Holland, five o'clock. Some people, this that match might have been played. A lot of people might be on the way home from work at the moment looking forward to Spain against Chile at eight o'clock. And then Cameroon and Croatia is a pretty nice way to round it off at 11 today. No doubt about the game of the day, Ken. And there was an interesting <laughs> snippet, a vignette maybe from Spain's press conference on Monday, I think it was, when Cesc Fabregas is there with Jabi Alonso having to answer the questions and take some of the flack and look forward positively towards the Chile game. Fabregas says, we have to be brave. We have to try to win by more than one goal. We have to attack, attack and score a lot of goals. Jabi Alonso is sitting beside him and says, mm, we know what needs we have. We will probably have to attack, but there's a time for that. We have to be intelligent and not fall into what uh, into the trap that Chile want. It sounded like almost Fabregas being rebuked mildly by his teammate, Xabi Alonso, there. Fabregas, he just doesn't get it, does he? He just doesn't get it. That's why Barcelona have sold him back to Chelsea. It's like, nah, you just... You just um, I don't know what happened to you, Sesky. You just lost your way. You know, all those years in England at a young age just sort of got into your brain. And... Um, he doesn't agree, I suppose, with with what a lot of with the way that a lot of his Spanish teammates look at the game. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I do have a bit of sympathy for Fabregas, though. I mean, remember that FIFA's main uh, criterion for deciding who gets through is goal difference. You know, it's not um, it's not head to head or anything like that. So, you know, I, I would tend to agree with Fabregas, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see him just getting kind of. Um, uh, casually slapped down uh, like that by uh, by Xabi Alonso. I mean, whether I don't know, I don't know whether Xabi Alonso. I'm sure Xabi Alonso will be in the team. It will be interesting though to see which players don't make it back into the team from the from the home game. Fabregas, of course, was one of the players who wasn't really uh, who wasn't really uh, you know stained by that game. He only came on as a late substitute. I mean, <laughs> I felt pretty sorry for Fabregas in that game. I mean, oh, he came on with about 10 minutes to go. And I think it was already 5-1. <laughs> so, like, why are you sending me on now? Like, thanks a million. And obviously get on there really... and get us a goal. <laughs> it, seemed a bit, it seemed a bit harsh. But, so, I don't know, maybe he'll get in the team this time. Probably not, though, because he, he, he just doesn't, never seems to work for him in Spain. I can't understand why... Uh, it, it's. I think he's just a talent that's actually more suited to English football than Spanish football. Um, maybe we'll see him today, but I wouldn't bet on it. All right, well, they're playing against a hugely talented team, but Chile themselves looked a bit open against Australia. How do you see this one going? Well, I, didn't, I wasn't that impressed with Chile against Australia because um, I was watching that one in Manaus with a lot of uh, Australians and sitting there watching it, and Chile scored after 12 minutes, and I think again after 14. And I... I Okay, I was sitting there bitterly thinking to myself, Australia just in this tournament by an accident of geography. It's not fair. Um, we should be in this tournament if these guys are. That was that, that was literally the bitter run of my thoughts as I sat there nursing beer in this by myself in this bar in my house. Um, and then over the next little while, it turned out that Australia were the better team for the rest of the game. Uh, and, you know, having originally looked completely inept, I mean, the second goal that Chile scored was just ridiculous. If you look at what the Australian defenders did, they ran. They, it was like they were almost celebrating a goal. And they all ran to sort of squish themselves together in one side of the penalty area. So Chile passed it sort of, you know, to the left of them, and a guy had a completely clear shot. 
I thought, that's ridiculous to see they're defending like that at the World Cup. It's embarrassing. These guys shouldn't be allowed in. And then they actually outplayed Chile for the rest of the game. And the fact that Australia outplayed Chile makes me think Chile maybe aren't that good. Now, I know Spain lost their game 5-1, but they were up against a team that was having an amazing game with some brilliant players. And I don't think you could say that. I mean, Tim Cahill was by far the best player um, for Australia. And, you know, whether he can do it again so soon afterwards, well, I suppose we'll see today. But I think, um, uh, I, 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 essentially, I wasn't that impressed with Chile in that game, so I think Spain will probably go and beat them. Well, you've been listening to the... Wednesday's edition of the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast. You can check out all the other shows on the Irish Times on the Irish Times website. So it's irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. We'll have two new shows for you tomorrow. You can listen to them whatever way you're listening to this program. You can listen on iTunes, on SoundCloud, the Podcast Republic app if you've got an Android. Uh, Going to be a couple of great shows. Hopefully the World Cup show will feature Spain. We'll see if Ken's prediction is right. They might get back on the horse there. And US Murph is going to be on for the first time during the World Cup to uh, see what he makes of the World Cup so far and, and uh, America's ridiculous come from behind victory tweeting merrily wasn't it come from behind victory but a late victory yeah. the, other day, the other night Yeah, tweeting merrily about it uh, uh, yes oh, thank you very much oh sorry you're going to th- I'm going to thank you I'm going to thank you and if you can thank Ken thank you Ken thanks Owen and I'll thank our listeners very much it's been a great tournament so far thanks for listening hopefully we'll have more of the same today and we'll chat to you two shows tomorrow Thursday talk to you then Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.